Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Welcome back. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of our show. We're so happy that you're joining us today. And thank you to those who have left reviews for us. I actually want to read a couple of them, if you don't mind. Sure. Sure. We have a, a review here. I started listening to this podcast while preparing for marriage. This podcast was the best marriage preparation for me. It gets into more specifics than expected. Not only do the questions and answers help prepare one for marriage, but the interactions and anecdotes between husband and wife are an excellent example of God's intention of the vocation of marriage. Thank you, Christopher and Wendy. You are welcome. That's encouraging to hear. That is. Thank you. Thank you for leaving that review. That encourages us. I have another one. It says, I listen to your podcast every episode, and I so enjoy them. Thanks for the love that you and Wendy share as a witness to the beauty of marriage. It strikes me that at the core of everything is truth. God created everything with a purpose and an order. It works, and Mm. it is alive. Mm. What is more, all of life proclaims and affirms the Creator. I realize that the reason I enjoy your podcast is that it is true. Truth is animating. Once we come to know truth, we must act. Yeah. Thanks for your work. Wow, there's a deep thinker. Yeah. When I read that one, it just reminded me of some things from early in our relationship and conversations we had about kind of our mission as a couple. And it was touching to me to read that so many years later. I don't know if you could share anything about that. Yeah, I remember feeling very clearly that we had a calling to do something with John Paul II's teaching, which Mm -hmm. we had both internalized, Mm -hmm. and a sense of responsibility, so much so that even part of my marriage proposal to you was talking about what may well be ahead of us in terms of a particular calling, that I'm not just going to have a normal nine to five job and Mm -hmm. come home at the end of the day and be able to put all my worries away and that we together were going to be carrying uh, a mission Mm -hmm. beyond our own relationship and out into the world. I didn't know what shape it would take, but I did have a sense early on that I was called and whoever I would marry would be part of it to be a, a light in this time that we had really been given this antidote to the crisis of our times and John Paul II's teaching and Mm -hmm. had a sense that, yeah, whoever I married would be part of that. And yeah, I remember talking about, you know, that it is, it is really possible to discover the truth. And when we find what is true, we need to live in accordance with. Yeah. 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 You, you and I remember a time at that waterfall in New Jersey Mm -hmm. when we were falling in love Deeply, it yeah. was going deep. Yeah. We knew we knew it was only a matter of time before we'd be husband and wife. And and I remember looking in your eyes, and you said, "If you had a, what did you say? If you had a mission, or if you had a, mm. a mission statement, or what? Yeah. How did you put yeah. it? How do you see the purpose of your life, or something along those lines? Yeah, yeah. And I said, to seek the truth." And to live it when you find it. Mm-hmm. And then I put the question back to you, mm-hmm. and you said... Yeah, I wasn't as articulate as you were. No, no, no. No, <laughs> well, that came from your heart. It yeah, came right I, out. 
See, I had, and this reveals our differences too. I, I had it, you know, oh yeah, I'm going to come up with the right thing to say and <laughs> say it this way. And, and you just, I asked you and just went blah, 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 well, bubbled right up and out. And it was beautiful. What I said was that all I know is it has to do with God and people and rightness. Yeah. And I thought, there it is. <laughs> Right out of your heart. There I am with my analysis, and there you are with your heart bubbles bubbling up. And I thought we we should we should get together and raise some kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that was a should, long time ago. That was. <laughs> Can I share some questions? Let's now? do it. Okay, thanks, listeners, all of you who've submitted questions. Here's a question from Mary Kay, who says that. There was something she saw on Twitter that had kind of caused a big stir, and she wanted to share it with us and get our thoughts on it. So the Twitter post she's included here says, Ladies, a priest I know was forced on Sunday to ask a woman at Mass to cover her shoulders. Please help the priest to protect the purity of the men at Holy Mass by choosing to dress modestly. The alternative is awkward for all involved. Thank you. And, and then her comment about it, she said, was that this Twitter post had caused a firestorm of opinions and extreme defensive remarks by women about their clothing choices. And so I actually haven't read the comments that were on Twitter, but I can sort of imagine sure. from how she summarized that. And she'd just like to know what we think of all that. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's a little indication as to what I think of this stuff. Um, cover her shoulders. Okay. I just want to comment initially on that Twitter post that I'm kind of sensitive to when people say we had to or yeah, the yeah. priest was forced to. Yeah. I think it's just a, a sad way of excusing ourselves from really owning our own decisions. That was the priest's choice. That's right. He's not forced to do that. Nobody right. forced him to do that. So, yeah, I'm just, I don't think that that's really an accurate representation right there at the beginning. Yes, yes. The, the underlying question in this is, how should we be dressing to go to Mass? And an attendant question is, what really and truly is modesty? And how are we to understand our bodies? These are all questions we have to understand and enter into to provide an adequate response to this, which we can't really do in the next few minutes, but we can give some food for thought. And I'm going to tell a couple stories. Okay. Number one, it was a common practice in the early church, I'm not making this up, to have nude baptism of adults. Mm. And we don't do that anymore for understandable reasons. But there was a time and a place in which that was deemed appropriate. There were, as, as I've read about it in various articles and research I've done, it wasn't like somebody would stand up naked in front of the whole congregation. There were kind of, there's a certain veil about it. But it, it speaks to a profound truth about baptism. We are supposed to be, those who gather on Sunday, we are supposed to be those who are living a regenerated life. Mm -hmm. And the first effect of the fall was this shame about our nakedness. And there was this idea, maybe it was a little naive, and it took a few centuries to work these things out in the understanding of the church, 
that when we're regenerated in baptism, we are in some way returning to our innocence. That is not really the case. We don't return to the state of innocence through our baptism. We still have to struggle with all kinds of disordered passions, etc. So this is where modesty comes in. In a fallen world, we cover the body not because it's bad. That is Manichaeism. If we think the body is bad, you got better cover that up because it's shameful. Those shoulders are shameful. You better cover up those shameful shoulders. This is not, this is not modesty. That is immodesty. That come, and by that I mean it's coming from an immodest understanding of the body. It's coming from an understanding of the body that is rooted in Manichaeism. It's rooted in a fearful rejection of the body. So we cover the body in a fallen world, not because it is bad, but because it is so good. And we feel or should feel an instinctive need to protect the goodness of the body from the degradation of lust. So that is what modesty is is. It is a protection of the goodness of the body. It is not a covering up of dirty body parts. It is not a covering up of the shamefulness of the body. It is a veiling of the glory of the body because in this fallen state, we can't handle the glory. Now, modesty is also culturally conditioned. How should we dress in mass? Well, that's going to be answered one way if we lived a hundred years ago in America. We live in 2019 in America, and the standards of dress are very different. And many people would lament that our standards of dress have gone way in the wrong direction, and I would not disagree. In many regards, they have gone in the wrong direction. But to what do we want to return? Do we really want to return to 100 years ago when a so-called respectable woman could not appear in public without about 25 to 30 pounds of clothing on? Is that what we want to return to? Is that what modesty demands? I would argue, no, no, no. That was another, that was like the flip side of the problem we're having today. That fearful, repressive approach to the body where every single last inch of, of flesh was covered up for fear of whatever. Uh, we don't want to return to that. What we want to have and we talked about this in, in a previous episode. I think it was just the last episode we were talking about the original good of God's vision of the body. We can't return to our innocence. Uh, I'm not advocating that we all go walking around naked without shame because we can't in a fallen world. But we can and should come to a place of peace about the goodness and dignity of the body. And I would hope that would mean that a woman's shoulder would not be cause for someone's lust. Now, if indeed someone has such a struggle with lust that the sight of a woman's shoulder causes him to lust, then maybe the problem is not the fact that the woman has her shoulder exposed. Maybe the fact is that that man is really, really, really in need of a renewal of his own mind and heart. And there's a give and a take here. Right? If the woman knows that the guy behind her has this violent lust that's getting roused in him because her shoulder is exposed, then she shouldn't just shove her shoulder in his, in his face and say, get over it. <laughs> uh, you know, there's, there's a give and take here in our broken and weak humanity. But we must be very careful, very careful. John Paul II says this in the Theology of the Body. When we shift the blame 
for our lust onto the object over which we are lusting, namely this woman whose shoulder was exposed, then we are, we are falling into the Manichaean error where we are saying it's her shoulder that's the problem rather than it's my lust that is the problem. Right Now, again, in the give and take, I'm not exonerating any kind of clothing in any kind of situation because it's just whoever has the lust, it's just all their fault. No, in, in charity, we need to learn to respect one another's weaknesses, but also, and first and foremost, those with those inclinations to lust must do a serious interior reckoning crying out for a redemptive approach and understanding to the body. And I have one last story, and then I would love for you, Wendy, to share some thoughts here. Here's the story. I heard this years ago, and it stayed with me because it's so painful, so painful to me. I heard the story. A woman told me that a, a man came up to her after Mass and said to her something like this, I just want you to know that thanks to you and the way you're dressed today, I couldn't receive communion. Oh, my goodness. Okay, what's going on there? Uh, a lot's going on there. And there is a deep, deep need in that man's heart for the redemption of the body, for the redemption of his own desires, for the redemption of the way he understands and treats a woman, that casting of blame, thanks to you, I couldn't go to communion today. That is what John Paul II is referring to when he says, when we cast the blame elsewhere, and this goes the whole way back to Genesis, it's the woman you put here with me, it's her mm. fault. When we cast the blame of our own disorders onto somebody else, John Paul II says, this becomes and can become and might always be, in fact, he says, a loophole to avoid the requirements of the gospel. Because the gospel calls all of us to purity of heart. What is purity of heart? John Paul II says purity of heart is the glory of masculinity and femininity before God. In fact, he says it is the glory of God in our masculinity and femininity. And one would hope that in mass, the people who have been regenerated, this is what we're supposed to be, would be able to appreciate the goodness and beauty and goodness and dignity of the human body instead of just casting blame and saying, because of you, I couldn't go to communion today. Something is really messed up there. God loved that man and all of his struggles. God loved that woman who got all of that crud from that guy dumped on her. Somewhere in between these extremes, we have balance, we have hope, we have peace, we have goodness, we have dignity, we have the interior gaze that sees in feminine beauty and in masculine beauty the glory of God. That's what we're called to, and God, please help us to get there. How about that? Amen to all of that. I really... I felt a little passionate about I that. I know, and I sensed that that comment from that man, it's like a, you know, kind of like a demonic attack. Yes, you know, it was. It absolutely was. Uh, on, it was black. On her. And I, that's just so sad. And maybe there's, in some of the reaction on Twitter, you know, maybe there's people sensing that here, too. That, yeah, yeah, I'm wondering, too. You know, if, if they're sensing, like, there's there's a, a wrong attack and blaming yeah, going that, on. Yeah, I want to whoever that woman is, God bless her, wherever she is out there, your shoulders are beautiful. Your shoulders are awesome. Mm -hmm. Should you have a shawl on or something? That's another question. But first and foremost, you have to know your shoulders 
are beautiful. Your shoulders, your body as a woman is meant to be an occasion of grace, an occasion of, of calling men to behold and see the glory of God revealed through you. Yes, we live in a fallen world. Yes, there is need to veil the dignity of the body because we live in a fallen world. But man, first and foremost, we have to proclaim the goodness of the body because we don't get it. We don't understand it. We don't see it. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's a cause for pause and thought and prayer for all involved. I and there are, there are elements of truth on both sides, you know, where you fall down on this. And a properly balanced approach would recognize there are, there are truths on either side. Mm. Yeah, should we leave it at that? I think so. Okay. Yeah, thank you. I thank you as a woman. <laughs> and myself, oh. I thank you for regarding me and other women as a sign of God's goodness mm. and uh, not, you know, blaming us for any struggle. I'll, I'll tell a story quickly on this note, because I think it's important. Years ago, I was in a church praying. It was actually the, the shrine of the Immaculate Conception. And uh, there was a woman a few pews ahead of me. And she stood up. And when she stood up, she just took her fingers and like flicked her hair. Mm -hmm. And I had this jolt of like, whoa, like what, what just happened? There was some, it was just this f feminine thing she did with her hair. And I had this jolting attraction to this feminine gesture. Mm -hmm. And I had been on enough of a journey at that point to know, okay, the approach to this is not just to squash my attraction, but to say, Lord, Lord, help me to see this beautiful creature a couple of pews ahead of me in the right way. And it took me into a kind of mystical experience of realizing that feminine beauty is a sign of what the church is. And I opened my eyes and looked all around at this basilica of the Immaculate Conception in Washington, D.C., and I realized that mystically what's happening right here, I'm in the womb. I'm in the mystery of woman. The church is the bride. Mm. I'm in the mystery of, of, of and what's about to happen at this altar. The word's about to be made flesh at this altar. In some way, I'm kind of present mystically in the womb of Mary. And I'm about to witness the word being made flesh. And it's all happening right here. And it took me into the most profound reflection on what the church is and the glory of our humanity and the glory of the incarnation by allowing that woman's beauty to open my heart rather than you know, blame her for being so beautiful or blame myself for having attractions or get angry or mad. It took me into a profound mystical experience. And I just hold that out as a possibility that this is what the body is meant to do. But that's an awesome example of what you have talked about, the difference between the starvation diet and the banquet. That, yes, that was yes. an experience where something that could have just prompted a very a sad reaction yes. of maybe, as you were just saying, blaming her, blaming yourself, yeah. stopping short of going to the deeper riches that are available. And you, in that moment, had the grace to enter the banquet. And that was so rich and freeing. I think, yes, the liberating, freedom. liberating. Mm -hmm. I hope, back to this, Mary Kay, to your question, and this woman with the exposed shoulders, what I would love to see from that priest is a series of homilies in which he unfolds for his starving congregation <laughs> the glory, the splendor, the beauty, the dignity of the theology of our bodies. Mm. 
If we know who we really are, then these questions of what we should or shouldn't be wearing to mass, I believe, will fall into place. But if we don't know who we are, and all, we, all we're saying is do this, don't do that, cover this, don't cover that, you should have got two inches below the neckline, da-da-da-da-da, shoulders are evil. Not that he said that, but the, when we're uneducated about who we really are, that's the kind of message that can be received. And people are so hungry to know the true meaning and dignity of their bodies. When we're not getting that from the church, we take those hungers and desires to what I call the fast food gospel, and we let the culture teach us who we are, and then we get it terribly wrong. So there is balance, there is hope, there is purity, there is goodness. And only from that place, only for, this is John Paul II's teaching. If we want to understand what modesty is, we must first understand the true value, dignity, and beauty of the human body. Mm. Let's preach that message, and then we can come to understand what modesty is and what it isn't. Mm. Amen. Okay, let's keep going. <laughs> I love your passion. Well, thank you. Yeah. Okay, here's a I question. I passionate sometimes. <laughs> here's a question from a listener named Julia. Hi, Julia. Who is currently dating someone and thinking about her future, and she asks this, what advice do you have for a couple where both desire to have traditional roles, meaning the wife at home with children and the man working full-time, and yet that doesn't seem possible? Why does God give us these desires if it may not be possible or probable? Wow, Julia, bless you. This is a, a unique question. I don't think I've ever been asked that before. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. Well, I, I'm just going to try to read in a little bit when you say it's not possible. I don't know the circumstances. It could be any number of circumstances that make it not possible. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's a health situation. But if it is truly not possible to follow that desire of your heart, then you will have to accept the circumstances of your life as part of what God is allowing and accept that there's a certain desire in your heart that because of these circumstances you're not able to fulfill right now. We happen to have a relationship in which you've been home with the kids the last 21 years and I've been doing you know, the, the work that supports our family There was a time early in our marriage when you were the one that was working to support our, our, we didn't have kids at the time. I was in graduate school, but you accepted that role. I've always said that a man should not feel threatened if it's best for his family, for him to stay home with the kids, if that's what's best for the family. I can think of lots of examples or at least a handful of people I know personally where that was the situation, the kind of what we used to call the Mr. Mom situation. I do believe that our bodies tell a story here and that in all reality, a man does not have the ability through his body to nurture an infant at the breast, that there is a lesson here for us that in the earliest times of you know, a newborn, and as the newborn develops, that if it is possible, sometimes it's not even there, and I'm not saying it's a sin or it is wrong or you're acting utterly contrary to God's plan for the woman even to return to work and for the dad to stay home and offer the baby a bottle. 
if that is what is required to make it all work, then that is what is required to make it all work. But nonetheless, I would be an advocate to do as much as is possible to allow the baby to be at the breast for an extended amount of time. Uh, women get very creative these days. You know, some, some workplaces allow the mom to bring the infant in, or sometimes the mom will pump her milk and make sure the baby gets her own milk. There is a lesson from the theology of our bodies here about parenting, but also we don't want to be rigid and say that when circumstances dictate something different than what is the normal course of events, that therefore we have sinned or broken God's plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's probably what we most need to emphasize, that this isn't the only desire that we may experience that is not fulfilled. I mean, to to equate every desire as this is God's will could be right. really dangerous because, of course, we have desires for things that are not good for us. In fact, this is just a little aside from our parenting, but I was looking at a, a book of where we wrote down funny things that our kids said. Uh-huh. And one of the quotes I read was from our son Thomas when he was four years old. He said to me, you know, a funny thing about life, Mom, sometimes things that are good for us, we don't really want. And it was just a <laughs> wow. simple, you know, reflection from a four-year-old, but it's true, you know, that our desires and goodness don't always line up perfectly, and even our good desires can't always be fulfilled. So I think that's maybe an example right there that Julie is, you know, facing the possibility that something that she desires might not be fulfilled. It's not a, a sign that it's a bad desire. It's a sign that we live in the world in which we live, in the realities in which we live, and there can be always graces available to us. This situation doesn't keep us from receiving great graces. Amen. I think that looking for God's faithfulness in our situation, even if it's not what we hoped it would be, is one of the gifts. Another one may be, you know, a really creative, alternative way of living as a family that you develop if that desire just really is pressing on you both, you know, that, that makes something possible that didn't seem possible. So there are lots of different answers, but I, I guess I want to affirm, you know, most of all that even good desires, we sometimes have to simply cry out to the Lord, you know. We've had many, many yeah. such circumstances, sure. good desires that we had to let go of or mm-hmm. die to, yep. to use a biblical expression. Yep. And when we die to those there's always a resurrection. There's always mm. a grace. There's always something on the horizon that we probably didn't expect, and God can surprise us in a great many ways. Mm-hmm. Bless you, Julia. I hope that's hopeful, hopeful and helpful for you. Yes. This is an anonymous question. As a 30-something woman who has made some mistakes in the area of sex and sexuality, I feel immense shame. I hope that there is a holy marriage in the future, and it has always been a deep desire. But I'm worried about sharing these aspects of my shameful past, that I might get rejected because of it. She asks, Christopher, how did you go about sharing the painful parts of your past, and is it necessary to tell all? Wendy, did you have to work through disappointment or concerns related to this? Wow, great question. God bless you. 
I remember very clearly you, when we met, I was giving a testimony at a Christian fellowship group in college. And that night I told my story of how I came to Christ, which contained a lot of sexual brokenness. Mm -hmm. And I knew all along that you knew my sexual past because you had heard me share that testimony. And when we were dating, I remember very clearly the day we were sharing photo albums from our mm -hmm. growing up years. And I was sharing some pictures from my growing up. And there were four years worth of pictures of this dating relationship I had. And I was like, oh boy, let's get past this. And uh, you said, no, 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 this is part of your life. I, I want to know about mm -hmm. you. I want to please share this with me. And I said, okay, we got to talk first. And it would be too long. Maybe we should should do part two in our next episode. Mm -hmm. and maybe we can just lay a few thoughts out here and return and say more in, in our next episode because I think it really would be worth sharing more of that story. It was really life-changing for me, the conversation that we had mm -hmm. following that. But I did, we did have honest conversations about my sexual past and your dating relationship too. You didn't have as much to share in that regard as I did, but we were very honest about it. And I don't want to make a blanket statement here that you're obligated to share absolutely everything about all those circumstances, because there may be situations in which that would not be necessary or appropriate. But I do believe in a general sense that we do ne we need to expose our real humanity to one another. Mm -hmm. And that fear of rejection that you expressed, dear anonymous questioner, believe me, I can relate to it. But here's the thing, if you don't share those things, that fear is going to linger. That fear is not going to go away. It's in sharing those things and being loved that we discover we have found someone I can spend my life with. If you share those things and the person says, well, I can't love you there, well, then you know I'm not meant to be married to this person and you don't want to be married to that person. You don't, I'll put it this way. I don't think you want to be married to a person who can't love the real you. And the real you is not just the you you've been in trying to remain chaste in recent years. The real you is the whole you that includes your past. And that's what I learned from you that day. You said, and this is what I want to share maybe more in our next episode because we don't have time in this one. But when we revisit this in our next episode, Wendy, I would like you to share what was going on in your heart that day okay and how you responded to me in my fear because i was really afraid that you couldn't love me in that broken place of my past and i said i remember saying to you well i can understand how you would love who i've been in the last five years because i've lived a chaste life in the last five years but i would never even expect you to love who i was mm -hmm. back then and your reaction to that changed my life mm. And I'm not going to tell you right now what her reaction was, because we're going to leave you hanging <laughs> so that you have to listen to next week's episode, same bat time, same bat channel, to get the rest <laughs> of the story. And if anybody knows that reference, you can let me know. As a child of the 60s and 70s, you might know what that I was referring to. Anyway, uh, I think we're, let's, should we leave it at that? Okay little cliffhanger. This is our first episode with the cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. How about it? Okay. All right, everybody. 
Thank you for your questions and thank you for enduring this cliffhanger until our next week's episode. Please leave a review. If this podcast blessed you, you are a way that this message can get out to many other people through your positive review and by pushing that share button on your screen. Please continue to submit your questions to us. And please, would you consider, if our work is blessing you, would you consider being a patron of the work and mission of the Theology of the Body Institute? We cannot do this work without you. You can click the link in the show notes to learn more. You get all kinds of exclusive benefits and formation in the Theology of the Body in an ongoing way that is exclusive just for our patrons. You can learn more about that by clicking the link. And know, know it in the depths of your being. It is true. You are an unrepeatable gift. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West comes to you from the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione and production by Sounder and Key. Christopher and Wendy hope the information presented is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, you can find a list of trusted counselors and psychologists in the show notes. Oh, 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 o